0: Hello there. Hi. We are starting to do these podcasts with a disturbing degree of regularity.
1: <laughs> What's going on? I know, we just run out of things to talk about. Have you read anything? Nothing. Nah. Nah, <laughs> done anything? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Over and out. Although today we are um, counterintuitively, um, and I, in my case a bit defiantly, uh, recording a podcast instead of doing anything related to the Melbourne Cup.
0: Unfortunately, my job does not allow me to do nothing relating to the Melbourne Cup. Melbourne Cup day at 7.30 as always. Uh, I, like, I know nothing about horse racing. Three o'clock they run the race, a horse wins, and then we say, who is that horse? Mm. Who is that jockey? Who owns it? It's the way you tell them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then I have to, an hour later, do an interview with them and sing. What so
1: about them. last year, though? It was like a spectacular that news was story. Like, That was fantastic. That was just was... like... And your interview with... um, What's her Her name? and her brother, Michelle Payne. Michelle Payne and was Stevie just Payne. so great. Like, that is the sporting event that, to you is actually, because you are, I don't know if everyone recognises this with (laughs) the depth of clarity with which I recognise this, but you, Lee Sales, do not care about sport to an extent that is, you know, quite um, remarkable even for me, and I, I well, don't care about
0: sport. I had to interview the other day Richie
1: McCaw, who is the former All Blacks captain now. Right, have you ever yeah, heard of him? The, the polite blankness of my expression is not good <laughs> in, a, in an audio medium, but like I have well, no well, idea. That's good, because
0: I thought you were going to say, because I had never heard of him, I thought you were going to say, are you joking, like the most famous All Blacks captain of all time, which I subsequently discovered. Um yeah, meant nothing to me. But people keep, like, stopping me in the lifting stuff and going, what was it like to meet Richie McCoy? Oh, I'm no. Like, yeah.
1: Got nothing. <laughs> Absolutely I had nothing. I speak at this conference the other day, and um, Johnny Ills was speaking there oh, as yeah. well. And I actually... did heard him. Look, uh, Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I heard of him too. And I know he's a rugby captain. Okay. But then when I did I went, oh, what? Quite impressive, really, aren't you? He's See, very, do, very good at rugby. When you run into these random sports people of whom you never heard, have heard but are very
0: famous, I mean, what do you do for the small talk? I said to them when I was doing Richie McCaw, bring him in when the cameras have started rolling because I have got no small talk for this guy. I've got nothing to talk about. At the end, I made small talk about
1: American politics because that's all I've got. Oh, you nerd. <laughs> He seemed interested in it, though. Now, speaking about American politics, I, I, just, I have to quickly just gather your thoughts on this particular issue. I just... Hillary Clinton continues to be haunted by an appendage that she does not personally uh, possess. <laughs> like a man, ladies never had a willy in her whole life, as far as I know, anatomically, and yet it's just like the Wieners sexual peccadillos of men in her life just seem to just keep assailing her politically. Like you'd I just know. be rolling your eyes, wouldn't you? Like
0: yeah, there's been more sort of. Um, Sexual peccadilloes in this campaign than almost any I can remember because there's Trump's sexual harassment, Eww. there's Clinton's track record and uh, Bill Clinton's, I mean, and there's now.
1: Hey, does your name Carlos Danger mean I anything know. to you? Our old Dinger. mate Anthony Weiner's back. The name's Danger, Carlos Danger. So the story is that um, the FBI, like quite controversially, has reopened its investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails because while they were snuffling through the iPhone of Anthony Weiner <laughs> on an. Uh, Unrelated uh, indiscretion. Um, they found some, you know, emails that had been shared, you know, with uh, his wife and possibly him wife being Huma Abed- Abedin, Abedin? Abedin, Abedin. Abedin. Yeah. Um, who's um, Hillary Clinton's you know, really, really close and senior advisor, who has now, of course, sensibly dumped Anthony Weiner, oh. not a moment to see. And, you know, so the reason that this is, because if you find this story as mystifying
0: as 99.9% of the rest of the planet... Um, let me try to break it down a bit. The reason that this matters is because mishandling classified information is a potentially criminal offence. And so Hillary Clinton had a private email server that she was using when she was Secretary of State. Um, And so they're trying to ascertain, well, did classified information go through that into places we don't know about? The FBI thought they'd found all the emails. These ones that have now shown up on Wiener's computer was a laptop that he shared with Huma. Uh, No one knows what's in them. Mm. It, we just know that they potentially came from the Clinton server. So that's why it's it maybe important because it goes, what it goes to the heart of is this issue that with Hillary Clinton, because her probably primary issue in the eyes of the public is, can she be trusted? Mm. Um, it's like, oh, another, we thought we knew everything about the Clintons and her emails and now another stone has been unturned and there's more to find out. But, you know, interestingly with humour, because, you know, we've discussed this at length um, previously, I see previous podcast episodes, people, yeah. um, You know, two thoughts. One is, wouldn't it be incredible if she now is not able to even, after all these years of loyal service to Hillary Clinton, is not able to even work in the White House because of her feckless,
1: idiotic husband, ex-husband? That would be, you'd have to think, a pretty strong chance, right? Yep. I would say, yeah, because... If she's carrying around state, you know, department emails that she's not supposed to have or whatever...
0: Then, I know, using them on someone's... So someone clearly has had access. To, I mean, I guess we're going to have to see now what is in the emails because if it's all just stuff like, hey, pop around for a cup of coffee, it's fine. But if it's mm. like, here's the document I'm going to be showing the head of state of Egypt tomorrow, then they're going to be in a world of trouble.
1: Right. Um, but so what do you think of that? Sorry, you, you said one.
0: And yeah, yeah the second thing was, um, yeah. that I was going to say was um, I was talking to somebody yesterday about why has... The Clintons have a bit of a track record of... They are quite loyal to people that are in trouble until they're not loyal to them anymore mm. and then they cut them so off. So you're
1: either in or you're out, yeah. right? Like there's no yep. half.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's pretty amazing actually that Huma has remained in the tent with all of the weiner stuff that's happened, particularly for me. I mean, the initial revelation, I'm sure there would have been a lot of sympathy. The Carlos Danger and the Merrill Run little bit trickier. The
1: documentary... The decision to participate in the documentary continues to be... I mean, I'm glad they made that decision because the film is unbelievably <laughs> great. We loved it. But I just... Whichever way I look at it, I can't see how, as Huma, you would make the decision in an election year oh, to... Oh, my God.
0: And also then for the Clinton campaign to, at that point, not
1: cut her loose, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, fascinating. But I, I said, said this, this to this... A serious tar baby that just keeps... <gasps> Oh God, reattaching absolutely. itself to this campaign at a moment now where it can least afford it.
0: But the person yesterday I was talking to said, "Because um, I said, why haven't they cut a loose?" And they were like, "Are you joking? She's been like Hillary Clinton's right hand person since 1999. Can you imagine the book she's got to write?" Yeah, right. So anyway, it's very, very interesting. God. But yeah, I, look, nothing can really, frankly, make my heart gladder than Anthony Weiner's
1: reappearance back know, on the public stage. Yeah. So, but one last question on this. Um, the director of the FBI, mm-hmm. just faced with a terrible decision, right? So either he, um, you know, discloses the material and says, look, you know, there is additional material on this laptop from Carlos Danger, I've got to investigate it, got to open, reopen the um, investigation. Keep in mind that this FBI director is a Republican appointee mm-hmm. who's been slammed by the Republicans for sort of Pretty much absolving Hillary Clinton mm. over this um, State Department emails private server issue, so he's kind of in this weird netherland where he's um, kind of an enemy of the Republicans. He's slammed by anyway, Donald the Trump. At, well, oh no, no, sorry, he's, he's now. He's, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. That's what so right, Trump up has till slated, now yeah. like tra- Trump's. You know, sort of always in the pocket of Hillary Clinton. He's corrupt. Clinton, he's corrupt. Yeah. All of a sudden, he makes the decision unilaterally and against yeah. internal advice to release or to to, to make this sort of slightly um, mysterious declaration to um, members of Congress that he's reopening this investigation, um, which of course sends this massive depth charge into the campaign with like 10 or 11 days to go. So, All of a sudden, now Donald Trump's all for him, you know, great guy. Well, maybe the system's not as rigged as I thought it was. But see, if he didn't disclose. If he didn't disclose, and this came out, you know, a week after the election, you'd almost have riots. Oh, completely. So I think,
0: I mean, geez, it's a really tough position to be in, but you'd have to think the disclosing is probably the only way to go, really, even though everyone keeps saying it's unprecedented. Yeah.
1: Maybe nothing like this has ever come to light two weeks before an election. So. Well, there's that thing in American elections that always has, has actually now been scheduled into election calendars, the October surprise, yeah. like something always pops up. If you know, he you was know us know
0: thinking it was Donald Trump groping. I know.
1: You see, that will do. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, I know. Think, well, that's it. Oh, no. Apparently not. So pretty hmm. much, I, I think we can probably safely say to the listeners that once the American election's done, you can go back to expecting a podcast about once every yeah, six exactly. weeks. exactly.
1: <laughs> hey, I brought you a little treat. I know. Look, um, I do have to mention this. Maybe we can um, take a snap and um, post a picture because... Okay. Um, I feel like a kind of like a little kindy teacher because I've received a little bunch of sweet peas wrapped in damp paper towel Mm -hmm. and some um, aluminium foil. And they are the most delicious smelling. Um, I know sweet your whole peas. office smells now. And this is um, from your garden. Yes, I grew it. The that. garden of a person who once told me that she was incapable of keeping any plant alive, mm-hmm. like even a and had no interest. Plant, in it. And had no interest. And now you are a sweet pea. <laughs> well, I did a. Um, I had a little New Year's resolution that I think
0: I might have mentioned on the podcast, which I'll, is that this year I was going to attempt to replace baking with gardening, because I thought I'm too fat. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it all comes down to. No, I just thought, and I had thought it through, and I thought, maybe it's the same part of your brain because there's a sort of process that you follow and then there's a nice end result and all the rest of it. But I fairly swiftly learned that it does not
1: offer the returns <laughs> that baking does because... or okay. Oh, sorry, you go. I remember I, I talked to Kaz Cook um, uh, sometime last year and she was talking about some research that she'd either done or had access to for one of her millions of books that she puts out she's like the most productive person in the world and a fabulous person too but she um was talking about some research where um conducted among women asking them you know what made them happy or to name a circumstance at which you know under which they felt most likely to be happy and relaxed and lots of them um talked about gardens or picking herbs from their own garden or oh, yeah. like being in the garden and harvesting something like it just brings out some level of deep kind of mm. connectedness to where you live and and satisfaction that That's was just interesting up again and again she said um, oh how interesting the um yeah, because I do like picking stuff out of the garden, and I like giving it
0: to people. Like, I wonder if garden is on the
1: smugness index because I reckon it'd be right oh, up there. Right oh, right,
0: Probably <laughs> just only after like getting out of bed and exercising at six a.m.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's so number one. What about that moment that where you once like turned out a bunt cake in front of me, and, <laughs> and it worked out perfectly? We call that the smug bundt. That is one of the greatest
0: moments of my life. Yeah. Probably, yeah. But Ahead She's of blowing. one of the children's births. <laughs> <flowing. laughs> um, no, but the thing is with gardening, I mean, maybe it's just because I don't, mm, I'm not as practiced at it as baking, but firstly, the return is so slow. Like, I planted those sweet peas in uh, April, yeah. and now they're only just flowering, yeah. um, and stuff doesn't work out. Yeah. Like you put stuff in and it just doesn't work out, and so so my anxiety over the sweet peas, like, are they going to flower? And like I th- remember, I've been texting you photos from when they're about ten centimeters high. Look at them, they're growing, they're growing. Look at them now, they're thirty centimeters. And then it's just like, are these things ever going to flower? Look, it's all green, but there's no flowers, there's no flowers. What's happening? And then finally, there's flowers. So it's been kind of stressful process,
1: yeah. and so annoying. yeah, for me too. <laughs>
0: All right, well, I'm just going to take my flowers away. <laughs> anyway, but its I must say, actually, at this time of year, it's gorgeous because the jasmine that I planted is all flowering. Yeah, my so gardenias are crazy out the front. They're going to be, it's just going to be a sea of white, and the smell's beautiful. Yeah. But, um, but then other things like, I planted a grapevine because I want to have some shade across the back of my house and uh, it was, yeah, it sort of, are tricky. yeah, it started, uh, so over winter they just do nothing, they hibernate and then it started going
1: gangbusters and I thought awesome and then just stopped. Wow. Bury a liver underneath the roots. Oh no, actually, just do, no, don't actually because that's passion fruit. Oh, okay. There is a like, your passion fruit love iron and so one of oh, the ways you can, um, oh. oh, I should have a passion fruit wine,
0: I love passion fruit.
1: Oh, yeah. But you do occasionally have to bury a liver um, under the roots because it helps them with the iron. And also, um, can lead to trouble if you've got, like, feral foxes or something.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't
1: think that's an issue in inner city Sydney.
0: The um, My friend Melanie made me some lime and passion fruit curd. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: just... Yeah, passion fruit curd. That's a, that's a go-to area for me. Too good. Um, what Not. have you been listening to or watching or well, reading? Um um I've been I've been listening to a a kind of a crime podcast mm-hmm. um put out by The Age to reporters at The Age Richard Baker and Michael Bachelard. Oh yeah it's I love called both of them. Phoebe's Fall mm-hmm. and jeez I you know I, I really like this thing going on now where like newspapers are putting resources into kind of investigative podcasts cuz mm-hmm. I think they're so good Now the Barrowville podcast mm. uh, by Dan Box for The Australian was um Uh, Great, I thought. And this one is really um, captivating. It's mysterious. It's stylishly done. It's um, really interesting. And I did that thing where I was listening to the episodes as they were um, uploaded. Mm -hmm. And I found myself really looking forward to the next one. So it's the story of um, the death of a young woman called Phoebe Hansjuck. And she was a Melbourne woman, she's 24, and it was the strangest death. Um, She went missing, and then her body was found um, at the bottom of the rubbish chute of this St. Kilda Road um, apartment block that she lived in with her uh, boyfriend. and it. Circumstances of the death were really unusual. Um, She had a lot of blood. uh, She had a lot of alcohol, and I think some of that weird sleepwalky sleeping pill thing Um, in her blood blood at the time. Still not. With blood levels like that, she really should have been a member of the Australian swimming team. But um, she, um, no one really worked out how she got into this chute. She went down feet first and very hard to get yourself into this shoot that was kind of quite a way off the ground Mm. and so um and she she died from sort of injuries incurred on her descent basically um and wound up in this utility room at the bottom where she wasn't found for you know while she was dead by the time she was found just horrible horrible strange um death and look, the um, uh, the coroner did have an inquest and um, and recorded a sort of death by misadventure finding, but oh. her family were really really dissatisfied with this. Mm. And um, what the podcast do- does is it goes into the circumstances of her death, what she was like, what was happening to her at the time, a bit into her relationship, which is really tricky because it's there's no um, allegation made that the um, that the boyfriend, you know was involved, but there's a lot of questions asked about, you know, the circumstances of their relationship and right. and um, and about what she was doing, you know, in the, in the days surrounding her death. Was she happy? Uh, no, not especially, I think. And um, she had a, uh, some kind of psychological problems and substance issues. Um, anyway, look, more than that, it's sort of more um, just a really quite sensitively told story of also how families react to something mm. mammoth and terrible happening like that. And I've sort of been thinking about it in conjunction with, um, you know, thinking about the events at Dreamworld and mm. um, and thinking about how you would possibly cope with something so monstrous happening mm. to someone really close to you. Mm. Um, I just read a piece in the New York Times
0: that I... Thought it was really interesting um, along these lines. It was about grief. It was by a comedian called Patton Oswald, mm. whose wife died suddenly. He, I, I recognise him from, um, was it called Six Degrees of Tara? The one? No, United States of oh, Tara. The answer, far, yeah, yeah, sorry, United States. Tony Collette was in. He was. Um, the guy who was sort of in love with Tony Collette's sister. Right, he's yeah. quite, you know him if you see him. I have okay. not. can't recall anything else he's been in, but you'd see him pop up in things. Anyway, his wife, um, they had a great relationship and she was having a sleep in one morning and he. she didn't get up and he came back in and she died. And, uh, you know, no substances. They could never find what had happened. Something just happened. And... Uh, he did this – It's a. he didn't write the piece. It's a profile of him for the New York Times. And he talks in great detail about the impact that grief has had on his life mm. and the difference between grief and depression. And I thought it was incredibly insightful because I think sometimes when things go terribly wrong for people, there's almost like after a period of time some pressure to be seen to be getting on with your life and living it. Mm. and mm. The, When the lasagnas stop turning up. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And, and just um, – you know, offering a story of inspiration or something, because no one wants to really look in hard into the face of grief mm. and loss and what that does to you. And he basically talks about, I just every single day I can just barely function. Um, and his brothers there talking about how they're trying to distract him and get him to do stuff, and he just he is absolutely lost. Mm. And it was, I thought, incredibly insightful about uh, grief and and. Um, Worth reading because it was just so raw and honest, um, and it really stuck with me. Just back on the podcast, so that you said the family was unhappy with the death by yep. misadventure finding. Do they think there's foul play involved, or they blame well, the still not? I think it's Knox, fair to say or... that they're
1: um, they're they've fallen out with the boyfriend um, who is from like a, an incredibly influential legal family in oh, Melbourne. Right. So there's that kind of aspect to it too, and like the the podcast is sort of at pains to retain an open mind. I think about um, about him and, you know, there's never an, an allegation right. made, um, you know, that he's involved. But it's um, certainly in the days, like in the, I would say in the 24 hours after her death, there's a, a, a rift that's opened up um, because the family, her family, thinks that his family was too swift to... Um, just assume that it was a suicide. Um, and you get the sense there too of um, a from her family that there's this sort of you know quite high profile Melbourne legal family who are trying to shut down the controversy or whatever. Right. And and I guess if it's if it's your daughter mm. that's kind of the the centre of this story then maybe you don't want everything to be shut down, you know. People respond to grief in different ways, right? Well, and if
0: you're in the legal community as well, you know if these things don't get shut down and there's any question over the partner, that that can be devastating. Look at that case in Brisbane with that um, Gable Tosti with the girl who's met on the Tinder. I mean, I found that story fascinating because... I mean, it's just your worst nightmare, isn't it? That your kid or you or whoever hooks up with someone on Tinder and it just goes horrendously wrong. For, Mm. for, you know, clearly she died. Mm. Um, And then he's now, you know, being acquitted of anything. But his profile, his name, his face is so out there. Mm. So you can understand how a family that understands the system, if you were in the media or the law or whatever and you knew how those things play out, of course you would try to be shutting it down.
1: Yeah. Or protecting
0: your loved one. Um, anyway, well, I'll have a listen to that. It sounds good. I've yeah, been listening. I've been listening to a podcast. Uh, <laughs> the really opposite this end of the spectrum. Porno
1: one? <laughs> it's actually not. It's it yeah. It's
0: not dissimilar to that in some ways. Actually, it's called
1: the Berlin just, just for Patient. Context. If anyone's listening and didn't listen to the last <laughs> podcast, if you Sale is not listening to actual pornographic <laughs> podcast, she's listening to my dad wrote a porno, which is quite a funny. Funny podcast, podcast it check died. it out. Reads out installments of the porno that is there. Okay, <laughs> this Go one's on. called "The Berlin Patient,"
0: and it is a guy had a very the breakup of a, his most serious relationship in life um, in about 2010, and so fast forward to 2016, and he's found on a laptop that he discarded at his parents' place some audio files, audio letters that okay. he wrote to. The woman to try to woo her back, and so he's now reading them, uh, playing them aloud, and dissecting them with his friends and with a therapist. And what? What? <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> it's extremely. Um, it's hard listening because you just feel like, oh, my God, I should not be listening to this. It's so personal and it's so excruciating. And his friends, of course, are just like, oh, my God, what is wrong with you? This is appalling. Who is this guy? Is a comedian? Or his is he? name's Joel... I can't remember his last name. Joel White, I think his name is. Uh, yeah, he is a comedian. Um, but it's it's actually... It's not just done for comedy value. It's done because, as he explains it, and it's true, he said often when you're talking about something like a breakup, you're looking at it in hindsight. But he mm. said, this is a time capsule of exactly how I felt in this God, moment. resolving
1: never, ever to do that. Like-
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he says, it's really interesting because he says with the benefit of some therapy and the benefit of time, now when he listens back to it, the letters, what strikes him is their utter dishonesty in, on every level. Oh, really? Yeah, and so he says, for example, um, there's this bit that he plays which is just you're just sort of laughing in embarrassment as you listen to And He's going it, – because it's also like this is his normal talking voice, like say I'm talking now, but the letters are done like this. Like, you know, hi, I hope you're well. I really, I really do. I really, really hope you're well and then it's like so he keeps going about how well he hopes and then he says in contemporary in the current send day these
1: letters to yes, oh, yes. oh no.
0: he says in the current day he says I listen to that and I think that is just an absolute lie because I'm not hoping that you're well and happy because I'm clearly hoping that you're yes, miserable and things aren't working out because I want you to come back to me yes. so it's quite fascinating actually looking at it from that perspective and of course his friends are hilarious there's a bit where the girlfriend um, he, he gives the fr- he gives some context to his friends about the breakup through who plays the letters and he says, you know, we were living in Berlin together. She came back to Sydney and she left me for a tattooed barista who lived in Newtown. He had a band. And one of the friends goes, oh, cute what was the band called? The Clichés?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it's both entertaining and strangely insightful as well. So I'm quite enjoying it. And I'm like, you are. Please with... tell me you hear from the girlfriend at some point. Like, does she reply to any of these? Oh, look, I presume if they're smart, they'll be saving that for a late oh, reveal. Yeah. They've never named her or anything. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if she's going to be making an appearance or not. I, I would like to hear from her. But I mean, yeah, I'm <laughs> just so worried she's going to say she played them to the tattoo barista and they just laugh themselves sick. I-, I certainly hope that didn't. But even like it starts with him saying like, the very first opening, it's like, guess who? Oh, I'll give you a hint. I've got a really good dick. A girl told me that once. What? I know. It was just like, and so his friends are just like, oh my god, what? What were you even thinking? It was just like, wow. anyway. It's, they weren't just podcast anything, were not they these days? I know. I mean, but
1: that, you know, that makes he him sound. accepted, obviously. <laughs> that makes him sound
0: like sort of more of a freak and a loser than he is. But it, it, it. it that was a freakish and loserish thing to say, but it's more like it was just like a sort of pitiful attempt at humour and connection over a clearly an in joke or something that they'd had right, previously. Okay, yeah. And um that just in because you course you're listening to it thinking what she would have been thinking. Because nothing is over is when something's over, and then you get, you know, the letter from the boyfriend oh, pining for God you God. and oh it's just anyway, yeah, it's so uh,
1: thrown into a new town skip.
0: <laughs> it's worth yeah, exactly. It's worth um It's worth having a look at. What about
1: reading? Well, look, I um, have been just immersing myself for the last, you know, month or so in Julia Baird's new biography of Victoria. Look, I actually think it would be worth, I mean, I know this is unprecedented for the podcast. I'd love to get her in one time to talk about the experience of writing that book because I've had a few conversations with her. It's so fascinating to me, the process of what it's like to attack a new biography of one of the most thoroughly investigated people in history, like yeah. Victoria, one of the most famous women in history, right? I'm so full of admiration for Julia Bear that she would, you know, ask work. by her publisher, Oh, you know, do you wanna write a do you wanna write a new biography of um, Victoria? And back then I think she sort of said to them, Oh, I don't really know anything about Victoria or even the period. And they said, no, just go and read for a year and then come back and tell us if you think you'd like to do it. Like, I mean, what a. And she threw herself into it and it's just consumed her life mm. um, uh, for years. And the book is so great. Like, it's so great. It's just, I mean, I'm not like massively interested in Victoria or that period, but from the first couple of pages, I was into it, and it just sort of like envelops you. The detail in there, but it's not like tedious detail. It's really great context of um, what's going on at the time. I mean, Julia's eye for um, quirky, fascinating detail about every aspect of this woman's life Mm. is so acute. And she's obviously a fabulous writer, so it's just a pleasure to read. Yeah. so interesting. She's a great writer. What struck me reading it
0: is... um, like I just kept thinking all the time the work the work that's gone into yeah. this because it's not even the it's not even necessarily the central anecdotes about queen victoria which would have taken heaps of effort there'll be little bits of colour that are just little interesting sort of things that help paint the scene of the times yeah. or whatever and oh man just Really, really interesting. And because she really humanises Queen yeah. Victoria, that's what I think keeps you yeah. reading through it. Um, I'm reading another, a book by another colleague of ours, which we're not... Um, we sound like we're just plugging our colleagues, but it just so happens that's what we're both reading. I'm reading Mark Colvin's book, Light and Shadow. Oh, I can't wait to read that. It's also really interesting. Um, it is about Colvin's career as a foreign correspondent, but running alongside it, his discovery... Um, that his father was a spy, um, and for the British government, and a high-level spy, and it's very intriguing because it's like Colvin. He discovers when he's about five that he's uh, sorry, twenty-five that his father was a spy, and then it's the gradual Dad's unpacking. No, still alive? No, the his dad really? died in early two thousands. So he's he's piecing together things that his father told him, things that his mother's gleaned, and then he's gone to other people, it's sort of a bit of investigative yeah. journalism about his own yeah. father. Um, But it's also, the bit that I've enjoyed the most that I've read so far was Colvin's description of his own years at boarding school, which is just so fascinating and quite, it's interesting because he talks about just that harsh British boarding school environment and the sort of physical and emotional abuse Mm. and he makes a really interesting point i thought which is that people when they talk about schools like that often talk about the sexual abuse and he Mm. says yeah there's other forms of abuse too that are equally as damaging and he talks about the long term impact um that some of that stuff has had on him so yeah i'm I'm only um about halfway into it but i'm really enjoying that so far as well it was interesting too at the book launch um somebody made the point that say with you know the son being journalist the father being a spy with journalists. We consider our work a success if more eyeballs have hit it. The more eyeballs hit it, the more we think we're a success. As a spy, if your work is only viewed by the president and the director of the CIA, that is, you are the ultimate success. The fewer eyes that are viewing your work is the greater mark of your
1: success. lots of knock-on effects of that. I remember interviewing the um, former um, head of ASIO a couple of years ago. And... um, I've never really thought about what um, the constraints that are on um, spies has on the management of their workplace, just as a straight industrial or HR issue. Oh yeah. Um, and in ASIO, right? There's only two people whose names are allowed ever to be released. Like, there's only two people who work at ASIO who are allowed to say, "Hi, my name's Friend. I work at ASIO," and that's the director yeah. and the, um, as of the last few years, also the deputy director is allowed to be named. Everybody else is shuffling around at Canberra barbecues, going, I work for the Attorney General. I'm in IT-ish, you know. And, and there's lots and lots of people that work in that department, right? But one of the things that that means is that all of your um, outward trappings of success that you have in your life and career. You know, I got a promotion. This is what I do. I've been made a director. I've been made a manager or I've been put in charge of this particular thing, the sort of thing that you talk about um, is absolutely unavailable to people who work <laughs> right. in that organisation. Right. And um, when I was talking to the um, this ASIO chief, he was, he was saying, look, you know, that, that does make things complicated. Mm. How do you reward people? How do you mm. um, create recognition for their achievement when mm. you're not allowed to talk about anything they do? And the other thing is... How do they? Well, they. I mean, they, I guess use seniority and I guess you get better assignments and that sort of thing. You get to wear special badges that you can only put on when you get inside the building. You get all those shoe phones, (laughs) you you get a a squirty flower, you know, pin thing. Makes it all worthwhile. Um, But the other thing is, obviously there's an enormous amount of complication in your relationships with your your friends. So, like, what do you do with um, the other parents of your kids that you meet at school? Um, you can be really vague about what you do. Mm. Um, but the deputy director of ASIO that I was talking to at the same time, though, were, um, we we're both at this interview together, was saying that he, when his name was published, you know, when he became the deputy director and was disclosed mm. as um, a very senior ASIO person, he said that some of um, his family's friendships didn't survive that revelation mm. because. Um, it was not possible for some of their friends to come to terms with the fact that such a central detail about this guy had been withheld by him. Right, right. And I guess it is a sort of like, it's a quite a fracturing moment when you realise that this person that you've been having barbecues with or you've been sort of great mates with for maybe 20 years... Has never told you the most basic thing about themselves, which is what they actually do. Right,
0: um, you can see how that would become a problem. Or what about if you realised, oh my god, because I would be thinking back to every conversation I would had, thinking, exactly, yeah. you know, well, what has, you know, somebody asked me the other day, did I think that anyone that I am friends with or contacts with is actually a spy? And I thought, interesting yeah. question. Um, I I said the ones that sort of. See, because good spies, of course, have good cover stories, so I wouldn't be aware, like, oh, yeah, I've got my suspicions that that guy actually works for the FBI, Like, guy oh, yeah. actually works for, not FBI, CIA, that guy actually works for, um, you know, ASIA or whatever. Mm. But the ones who sort of make my radar go up are people that have kept in touch with me for a long time, seemingly what I would have thought beyond the point of utility.
1: <laughs> you are a monster. Why? Why? people <laughs> would be in the bin if they were a book. <laughs> I believe
0: now, yeah, I'm wondering why the haven't they binned
1: me? What, like, are the, what are the signs? Just so that I know. Like, no, I don't but, want to be one of those well, people. Because, I'll see myself off the premises when <laughs> what conditions are met, please. Tell no, me.
0: it's not about me bidding you. It's about you bidding me. It's things like, um, so, okay, say when you work in a uh, location with people um, and you all live in the same city. And so circumstance throws you together and you become friends and then you move on. Usually you sort of shed, you might keep in touch with one or two, but you'd shed a lot of people at that point, right? Because you wouldn't have that just common experience happening. So so then these people who you feel like, wow, it sort of seems like that now the friendship should have died because there's nothing in common, but you're still in touch with me. Why is that? (laughs) And if they work for government or if they've got some nebulous job, like I work in the Attorney General's department, that
1: makes me think, do you? Oh my god. Well that sounds like a pretty straight case of your friends. Extreme aspires. paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> god, now I'm just like scrolling. Do you reckon my... you've got some? Um I know I absolutely would know some people that are spies. But I don't know aspires, spies probably. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, no yeah, doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Is now the time I should tell you I'm about to be unveiled as the deputy director <laughs> of the I'll be like, Damn you! I've actually got an idea for a TV like show mm. that involves the anchor of a Television Current Affairs program, who's actually a spy, high-level spy. Mm. She was recruited when she was at ANU, and now she's been, she became a journalist, and she's yeah. been spying the whole time yeah. because journalists have a lot of yeah. access to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she's risen right up, and now she's like in my job. And <laughs> the director calls her in and said, she, and she's done. She doesn't want to do it anymore. It's too yeah. much. She, her husband doesn't even know too much of a secret. The director calls her in and says, we've just got one more assignment you need to do, and
1: chaos ensues. I love it.
0: Well, I thought I raised it with you a while ago and said, did you want to write it with
1: me? And you just never got back to me. Man, it would be part of the late night spam fest of like <laughs> really idiotic ideas. <laughs> you can't blame me for failing to spot the one decent idea that you spam me with in the middle of the night. <laughs> what do you your the best of your kind of crazy ideas? I really like that one um, where... <laughs> We can now probably discuss this since you know um, the Friday night slot on seven thirty is now. You know, going oh, to be I'm going to stand. I know what Stan you're going to raise,
0: and I think this was a great idea.
1: But <laughs> please. So for a while, like the ABC was like noodling around, like what to do with the Friday night slot of seven thirty. Brilliantly, now that spot will be occupied by Stan Grant. Great appointment. Awesome. Awesome idea. Yep. Uh, so, phew. <laughs> At one point, there was some idea that we could do some sort of tap dancing news and review thing. And then while we were talking about that, you came up with the idea of making a kind of reality style television show that was sort of like but fiction, document, fiction, yeah. but shot like a documentary. Shot like The Office. Um, that would be us trying to come up with a Friday yeah. night political variety show. So you'd show. start it
0: basically like um, me and you. And I, and I think you'd want actors <laughs> playing me and you, you know what I mean? But yeah, but looking like, yeah. Um, and it would be us, we get called in by, you know, the director of television who says, hey guys, we've got a great idea, we want you to do a show. It needs to be funny and serious and like yeah. this sort of really wild brief that you just like can't make head nor head tail of. And then it's just us, um, you know, trying yeah. to, do that yeah and, it it, and sort of potential it, it would have no sort of real plot it would just be like or us me- <laughs> yeah exactly it'd just be us meandering around no but I think he could make that work it'd be sort of like the vibe I was thinking was a bit like the trip where you've yeah. got the two central people and it's just a really it is scripted and there's a loose sort of plot I guess but it's mostly just conversation around a um, contrived premise
1: Two people just bullshitting on about nothing. Do you
0: think there's a market for it? <laughs> my, my, other, my other idea, now that we're on a run about my oh, crazy God. ideas, I think we should do like a Chat 10 Looks 3, not almanac, but that's the word that keeps coming to mind, that just involves like some recipes, some TV
1: reviews, some book reviews. God, it just sounds like the thing that I would hate to be given for Christmas. <laughs> Uh, you know those books that are neither one thing nor t'other? Like it's like, hi, I'm a coffee table book with a couple of recipes and like there's a, there's a press out section where you kind of make a little model of a I
0: I can see even as you say that I just I can see the cover and I can see your blurb which is this is the type of book I'd hate to be given for Christmas, Annabelle Crab.
1: It's the footpath of the two thousands. <laughs>
0: Fondue kid. <laughs> hey, stop that! I will not have a word said against Oh fondue. God! Of course you're a bloody fondue lover, aren't you? Um, all right, now I, I just I don't know what's now. I've got two separate recordings going on here. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a worry. Anyway. Brenda, she'll fix it. Brenda, <laughs> Brenda. <laughs>